Yeah, I like money more than I like justice. <laughs> I need to pay my bills, and I can't pay that in, like, white guilt. Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 74. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight <laughs> by my co-hosts. Yes, sorry, there's two of them tonight. Thomas Smiley and Lawrence Harmon. And we're here to talk about Legacy. Yeah, uh, turns out it's not so much of a Dead Format as, you know, one may have thought. 1,600 yeah. people. <laughs> Bro, it's I the wanna... biggest Grand Prix of the year, right? I want to say thanks to every single one of those European bastards, all 1,600 of you. We were bitching on the last episode. Not bitching. We were just, you know, mentioning the the low Grand Prix attendance, and we just came off like a 650 or something, uh, modern Grand Prix in Columbus. And 1,600. I'm so fucking proud of all of you. Much respect. Yeah, well, I guess when you, like, starve them for a year... Oh, and yeah. you go, you go only one every two years to get pretty excited about it. Like, it's nice to see a Grand Prix that big, but you also have to like think about that, right? Like, if there were more legacy events outside of like the MKM things and like the occasional Four Seasons, which um, there was an MKM and a Four Seasons tournament the week before the Grand Prix, which was pretty cool uh, because you got to see like. Some of the decks that did well, like pop up, or some of the players like spike these events and then lead into the Grand Prix, which was really nice in terms of uh, getting data, or, like getting predictions on what the metagame would look like or like what the decks to beat would be, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it it was pretty cool. You know, they had that sort of same thing we had with Syracuse and Niagara last year, or back in April, I should say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was really jealous. You know, just looking at people's photos. Knowing that people are playing Legacy, obviously not watching coverage, but just seeing text coverage. You know, that that's a real Grand Prix, 1,600 people. And it seemed like uh, it was pretty healthy meta. So I can't wait to discuss it. But first of all, just getting some things out of the way. How are you guys Thanksgiving? Uh, I don't really celebrate holidays, uh, but uh, I coincidentally, like, had three days worth of PTO just floating for the year. Nice. So I used those and just took a like week off basically. So I just it was nice, nice nine day weekend. Pretty much just slept for nine days straight. Sick. <laughs> it was perfect. That's good to recharge. Yeah, I had my my family over here on Thursday. Had a few people over for like leftovers and board games and some beers on Friday. And now we have the snowstorm, so my my wife's mom comes over to take care of our kid. She drives from New Hampshire every day. And uh, they almost got a foot of snow, so she couldn't make it this morning. So I took today off. We have tomorrow off already because of the incoming snow. So I get, I get like, a little break like Lawrence got. It's great. <coughs> oh, it must be nice, bro. Oh, yeah. it's, it's gas. I got to work, and I can't remember half of my coworkers' names. And it's like, oh, I really don't care about you people, huh? <laughs> uh- <laughs> That's well, awkward. you can you can not care about everybody and still know their name, but maybe that's just because I've been at my school for so long. Yeah, I 
it takes a lot for me to remember people's names. So like at work, the people whose names I remember, the people who I directly interact with frequently are the people in like my general vicinity and everyone else. I usually have to like take a second or do some sort of word association. And there are people who I just like got to work and I was like, Oh, you are a person who exists. Just one week gone, forgot they existed. <laughs> I've got uh, the two people closest to me are Craig and Fred, and I just never remember which one's which, so I just call them Cred. Like, uh, <laughs> and pretend like if they if they hear it, then I'll just be like, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Fred, obviously. But so wait, you like work next to these people and you don't remember their names? <laughs> I mean, I, if I had to like think about it, I could figure it out, but on the fly, no, I can't come up with it. It's amazing. I always mix up Noah and Luke Strassler. Uh, like, I'm in a group chat with Luke, I'm pretty sure, but there's always, like, this weird mix-up. They don't even, like, look enough alike. It's Their names don't sound alike, but everyone just mixes them up, and I, I just do it all the time. Yeah, it's rough. It's it's that it's that, uh, that boomer whatever, dementia or whatever it is, right, Tom? Jesus Christ. Well, I don't... I... Yeah. <laughs> you know i can i can live with dementia settling in at this point in my life yeah so we didn't really do last week what we're thankful for with legacy but i'm thankful for this grand prix attendance man i'm 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 sky high on this like it's so sick to see that many people show up and just like the positivity about the metagame coming off running six for so long like i mean it was only legal <laughs> was for like, five months but yeah it was like it felt like two weeks of that card when you're doing a weekly podcast, it felt like two years, honestly, because uh, it just got stale. We we soft banned talking about a uh, and six on our cast. It was like it was just like every week we can't talk about this card. We can't do the same rant every week. It was yeah. it was real bad. It was really bad. It was, and like you don't want to talk about. I don't know. I personally don't like talking about bands, like uh, calling for bands or whatever, but. I think I think we're in a better place. I think the stigma around bands is something that, um, like, I get it. In previous years in Magic, you could usually solve a problem. Uh, but this year, the power level has been kind of high. And I think what a lot of players have found is just, like, <clears throat> there is the, like, card to be playing. Like, the best thing to be doing. And if you're not doing that, you're just wrong with very little, like, wiggle room. Yeah, and I think Ren, calling Ren was that. Right. And I think calling for bands is like a little more uh it, it makes a lot more sense, right? And I think that uh Legacy is like maybe cool right now. There's some cards I'm worried about. Oko not well actually I'm not that worried about Oko. Astrolabe and Veil of Summer are the cards that worry me right now. Exactly. Um, like I think I think Veil of Summer worries me a lot more than Astrolabe. I know that Astrolabe like makes mana bases insane, but there are some real downsides of playing it. And Veil of Summer, man, Veil of Summer just seems like a way better blast. It it's situational, right? But yeah, for the most part, like I've I played a little Bug Delver recently, and I played some Rug Delver, and basically every time I've played a deck with uh, Veil of Summer, and I try to just like fit another copy in for the next league. Yeah. Uh, I got the joy of watching Rich Shea stream Quad Veil of Summer Rug cards that 
chat suggested, including Young Pyromancer, Six Man Uncounterable Chandra, Four Mana Chandra, uh, some Snapcasters, uh, just random rug cards. And he like five owed. And like there was a match against Brian Cook where his opening hand was like two Veil of Summers, and he drew his third one. It was just like it was the most disgusting thing ever because it just single handedly destroyed Bryant. That is gross. And I didn't even realize until I looked at his deck list that like the four mana Chandra ramps into the six mana Chandra like that, like that, that sort of curve play or whatever. Mm-hmm. I actually, I kind of like that, man. I think there might be something there. Not, not that his shell was perfect or anything. It was, you know, just built on the fly, but that, that was interesting, honestly. Yeah, the idea was just, like, how many Veil of Summer can we play? And, like, we're seeing more and more people adopt that uh, sort of deck building, right? Like, the GP winning deck list had two main deck Veils. Um, yeah, that's wild. Which, like, we've seen double main deck Pyroblast, and that was kind of at the height of, like, Treasure Cruise, right? Yeah. Which makes sense. But right now, it's, like, I think one of the better things you can be doing in Legacy right now is just play Blue Soup. And um, I personally tend to hate when the format gets to a point where just you're incentivized to pick four colors you like and play them. Uh, I I don't know. I'm a bit of a theoretical purist when it comes to the color pie, which I know not everyone is. But I think that uh, splashing colors should be free. And yeah. Ashley facilitates that. But um, one thing I've noticed is like, even though people are playing Astrolabe, most of the decks aren't playing, like, double-colored spells, right? Right. So even the games where they don't have Astrolabe, they tend to run almost seamlessly fine. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a huge problem. Maybe uh, you ban Astrolabe and people just keep running their four-color decks because they realized, you know, I can well, do this. Yeah, well, I think part of the problem is that Astrolabe makes the four color decks still pretty immune from Wasteland. Yeah. So so true. you can't check them that way. So I, I really wonder, like I've I've been sort of on this idea that eventually Veil of Summer is gonna be banned for a while now, but I wonder if you hit Astrolabe, I wonder if that might be enough because like would would Miracles still reach for it if they were gonna open themselves up to like getting wasted all the time, you know? Or but... like well, you wouldn't see four color miracles, right? You wouldn't see Pyroblast right. and Veil of exactly. Summer, but you'd see something like um, like over the weekend we saw Stefano, uh, Stefanogs on Moto, um, just like a really really good miracles pilot. He won the Brazilian Legacy Nationals with just straight up Bant miracles, yeah. and that's what he's been playing for a while. Um, and I don't even think I think it's using like the same mana ratios that Blue Eye Red Miracles used to run. Um, oh, so no Astrolabes. I think he had like two ish. Oh, maybe. okay. Yeah. Uh, or no, he he has four Astrolabes on a list that he posted on Twitter, but like it's not one of those things where if you cut the Astrolabes from his deck, it implodes. Uh, I think. Like the the biggest upside of Astrolabe in Miracles is the fact that it lets you more seamlessly run um, Mystic Sanctuary. Yeah, that's <laughs> because, true too. Yeah, like one of the downsides of that card is um, <clears throat> when we were just trying it in lists without Astrolabe, 
you'd be heavily incentivized to fetch dual lands against like Delver decks or whatever. And it got really awkward really fast. But with Astrolabe, you just get to like go island, 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 and like have your Mystic Sanctuary online instead of having to go like island planes or island planes, island planes or whatever, like some sort of common or previously common fetch land pattern with uh, your mana base. Yeah. And there's this other aspect where like, you know, blue and black are the most commonly played colors in Legacy, but right now every color is well above 20% because there are so many multiple color decks, like, and specifically four and five color decks, like on a light splash. So Veil would actually get a little bit worse if you take away Astrolabe and people aren't splashing black as often. So like there's there's a little bit of a, a edge there. I, I'm still not sure that it would work, but I think that banning Astrolabe might be a good start for for powering down Veil. Yeah, I could see that. I'm fine like slowly removing the cards from the format. My only concern with Veil is specifically Oko. I think Oko as a card is like very good, obviously, but I don't think it's like format destroying in Legacy, right? No, um, it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be, but like it's. If you're playing, like, a creature deck or whatever, and Oko gets online, it's it's going to be a problem for you. But the you can, you can like, check the card with Pyroblast. You can check it with Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy in theory, but Veil cuts off the Black exactly. Answers, yep. which is, like, my only worry. Like, I, I think Legacy with Oko, totally fine, as long as you leave open the, like, actual channels to, like, interact with Oko. But when... The channels are specifically Pyroblast. You put a lot of the format in, like, this weird spot of, like, you know, the Bug Delrinex have to just hope to not get veiled. You know, there's just a lot going on there. Yeah. And and there's also this, uh, this other aspect, too, of, like, there's show and tell. There's, I mean, Thought Not Seer is not technically a, a three drop, but it kind of is. There's... True name nemesis. There's a lot of stuff you can be doing on three. I don't think Oko is like oppressive on three or anything. The only reason that I would support a ban is because it's a, such a boring card, right? Like it's it's the way that it plays out is so samey, and that that's sort of I guess what the the larger magic community's been complaining about for the last two months. But well, it's it's just the fact that it invalidates most creature based threats, right? It, yeah, it, all all the games just start to look the same when you play it. So yeah, yeah, I. I I think the homogeny is kind of boring, but I think from just, like, an objective standpoint, like, removing the fun aspect, like, obviously, it's not really that interesting of a card. It's kind of miserable to play against. Yeah. Um, and, like, there's a lot of games where you just play Oko and it wins the game. But I still think that, you know, it is a three-mana Planeswalker. Uh, as you mentioned, if you remove Astrolabe, people have to play dual lands, and if people have to play dual lands, then, like, a Delver deck can attack the format a little better. I think one of the, like, awkward things uh, for Delver at the moment is, like, you're this Spell Pierce Days deck, or you're a Thoughtseize Abrupt Decay deck, and, like, Veil of Summer exists, slash these decks play a bunch of basic lands. Um, I decided to try, like, a league with kind of a more classic-style Nimble Mongoose Rugless, because I felt like Mongoose having Shroud could be good enough against these control decks, and... Stifle is usually good at attacking their mana bases or restricting them a bit. And what I found is, like, you stifle their first land, and then they just play basic lands for three turns, 
and then they play an astrolabe and you have to decide if you're force willing an astrolabe which you can't afford to do right and no not unless you're way ahead right and then they're like uncolor screwed like so the they, the card just kind of undoes stifle as an effect um so i i don't know it's it's just weird like the you know i like i've been talking to people about decks maybe playing the quarterly which we can dive a little more into later but every conversation we have is just like what about this deck and it's like oh it's good against blue but bad against everything else and it's like what if we play this deck and it's like yeah it's it still loses to the cards that are in four color or five color control. It's like, well, what about this? Still loses to the same things. And it's just like, I should just play Terminus, right? It's just like, yeah. And then I see like a screen cap of a six card counterspell stack where both players have played Veil of Summer and yep. you know, just go to Minifer on Twitter or Minihaj. I can't remember which one is fighting, fighting over a Snapcaster Mage. Yeah, the it's Mini Hajj, uh Mini spelled like Mini Mouse, H A J J. Uh the stack is Stapcaster Mage, which then gets Pyroblasted, and the Pyroblast gets Force Negationed, and that Force Negation gets Force Negation, then there's a Veil of Summer, and that gets Force Negation, and then the, there's a Pyroblast targeting the Force Negation, and then there's another Veil of Summer, and then there's a Forceful targeting the Veil of Summer. And uh you know, this is what hell looks like. Yeah. Um, no, I I like that. Well, so it's kind of cool, but like <clears throat> game one specifically in these blue mares have kind of been a matter of who draws less removal, right? And I uh, I think. With just counter magic, there was always this game of like <clears throat> testing with your threats, like throwing a threat into the abyss to get a countered, and then you'd follow up the next turn or like counter their threat. You know, um, there was always this game of like <clears throat> duck and weave, bob and chase, etc. But what Veil vale of Summer does to that when it's in the main decks is it creates these game states of like, uh, for example. Your opponent would play Jace, right? And then you would force will, and they would maybe force will back. Um, and then maybe you would spell pierce, or like you'd spell pierce, they'd force will, whatever. Like there was some sort of stack balance. You could figure out a way to mitigate it. It was fairly easy to figure out a line where, like, as long as you had two pieces of interaction, you could stop their threat from coming through, or you, as the player trying to play this threat, had to wait a certain to a certain time window to be able to play Jace with, like, Counterspell Backup and Force of Will or whatever. Now the dynamic is, like, play your Planeswalker, your opponent counters, you play Cryptic Command for one mana, they have to have another Counterspell, and if they don't have a Counterspell, then, like, you just destroyed them. Then you your Planeswalker resolves and you destroy them more, and then if you had a Counterspell in hand, you get to Time Walk them on their turn. So it just creates like a whole different game dynamic, which could be interesting. It could not be, but uh, from what I've been seeing, it's. I know a lot of people who have found it fairly miserable to play these games where like a singular veil of summer just swings everything. 
Yeah, and it's so swingy because it's, you know, it's one mana cryptic potentially in those situations. So it can really just like just bury you, right, if you lose that war. It, it's I think I like Flusterstorm a lot better in that role. But Yeah, like Flusterstorm has a window. It's a little easier to play around. And it's um, more limited. It's it's which sounds crazy because Veil started out as a sideboard card. But I guess so did Flusterstorm, you know? But it's sort the, of Pyroblast. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so, and like I've I've played Pyroblast in my main deck. I've played um multiple copies of Flusterstorm in my main deck, depending on like how I felt the metagame has been. So like you know, I think people saying like Veil of Summer in the main deck is so egregious. It's like to me it's kind of just the same deck building space as these other effects. Like uh one of the best like quotes regarding deck building I've heard uh I think it may have been John Alexander. It's just like there's no such thing as a main deck or a sideboard card. There's just cards. Right? Um and uh where was I? So there's just cards, right? And where those cards fall in your 75 is just a matter of like averages against the format or when you look at like the the Ellen Finting process of deck building, have you heard of that? Yeah. Yep. You're right. There's the uh, I think most people have for those who don't. But the idea is you build what your deck should look like, the 60 cards that you should have in every matchup. So basically, like you build your quote unquote post board configurations for everything. And then from there, you extrapolate what your main deck should look like and what your sideboard should look like. And um, in theory, like if you did that, you may come to a point where you're just like, oh, I should have Veil of Summer in my main deck. That's that's just how deck building works. So I don't think it's necessarily that egregious, but I do think the effect is just kind of absurd. And uh just kind of makes games, like, really terrible. Um, I posted a picture on Twitter of, like, me playing Rug Delver in my hand with something pretty nutty. I was playing against, like, Blue-Green Omni Show, I think. And I had, like, double Force of Will. I think I may have had a Force Negation. I can't quite remember. Um, I know I had, like, a Spell Pierce or something. And I was like, how do I lose? And then my opponent, like, untaps plays a uh, veil of summer print proactively. And I'm like, Oh, this is how I lose. Yeah. Um, and they had veil of summer double force of will. So to some degree it creates like new ish and interesting game dynamics, but in other degrees it just makes really terrible games. So. Yeah. I'll, I'll co-sign that. Like, so I, I mainly think the card's more egregious because it protects Oko, but I don't think Oko is enough of a problem to just ban out of the format and leave Veil. I think um, I think banning a three-drop Planeswalker that gets Pyroblasted and Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy and, like, there's a stack of other answers for the card in the format, I think that's, like, a bit much. I understand banning it in, you know, uh, standard or modern or whatever where the answers are less efficient and abundant and the card's more likely to just put you in a bot bag, but I think Legacy, it's fine. The card that, that feels really bad, going back to something you said a little bit earlier, what feels really bad to me too is countering Abrupt Decay. 
like as you know the uncounterable spell when you put it in your deck you're thinking that it's this uncounterable spell and we're all used to getting veiled now but like there used to be a real cost to counter abrupt decay like putting a card like vines of vastwood in your main deck right and like veil is so much lesser of a cost to pay to be able to counter abrupt decay that it, it re- that's another feel bad in my opinion yeah yeah um like having that expectation subverted is definitely a feel bad moment. Yeah, uh, so, I think so like it, to have it subverted so often now. Yeah, I think I think Veil of Summer is like one of those cards that the more and more you play with it, the more and more you kind of just realize things it does. And at a certain point, you kind of just cast the card and it says win the game, and it like it's kind of just an absurd effect you know yeah. um i've seen anurag das beat manalist dredge with no grave hate in his deck because they dread returned a balustrade spy and he just like casts a veil of summer and it's like oh they can't win right oh, because Jesus. they 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 were on the list that reanimates like one of the random creatures that just shoots your opponent for a bunch of damage it wasn't flare the hate bound it was like the newer giant zombie thing yeah and, i can't uh, think of its name right now lotless giant something there like you that go yeah yep and it was just like yeah cast veil of summer you can't come off there for me you can't shoot me and the opponent just decks right and you know like i mentioned before rich like destroyed bryant mostly by casting veils on thought seasons there, there was a bunch of matchups where it's just like yeah cast a bunch of veil of summers and you know like Veiling a Thoughtseize feels really good. Veiling a Force of Will is just like an absurd like swing in resources. It's a three for one? Something like that? Yeah. So. Yeah. Was... So anyway, want to get into uh, Bologna now? I'm down for it. Um, did you want to quickly cover uh, Joe Dyer taking over this week in Legacy? Oh yeah, yeah, good call. That was uh, Volrath XP taken over this week in Legacy. That was handed down from the Salt Mine dude to Eric Landon to now. Uh, what's his vintage column called? Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but he's he's basically he writes some very good vintage articles for Goldfish. And I talked to him uh, earlier this week or at, at the end of last week, actually. And he's he's really excited about it, and he, he wants to do a good job with it. And that was actually a great article for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, Sean Brown was doing it for a long time, and then he, yeah. like, moved to Japan. Uh, and then Landon was doing it, but I think he kind of has his own, like, Patreon thing taken off. So it's, like, probably a weird conflict of interest to be doing yeah. your own Patreon content and trying to, like do a non-biased article that isn't either a rehash of something you wanted to do for yourself or, you know, just plugging yourself, basically. Uh, so, yeah, it's cool that Joe's taking it over. Uh, he's a local guy to me, so it's oh, nice sweet. to see that. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that, but that's awesome. Yeah, he yep. seems like a really good dude, so wish him all the best with that. I'm excited to see it back. Uh, get some Get some more eyeballs on Legacy. It was crazy, like, with the the GP getting big numbers, there was, like, uh, when I was doing the research for the show, I was reading this post about it, 
and everybody's like, oh, you know, Legacy's dead or whatever. Like, because when you're not involved in Legacy, you just hear these like these sort of opinions, and you, you the format sort of disappears, you know. So I feel like the more visibility we have, the better. We can just call it a shit take. Like, yeah, I I did meme about the Rip Legacy thing, but that was kind of a callback to a local like meme within our local like magic player group um but no like the format is largely gonna be okay i hope that we do keep getting at least like one gp a year even if it's like the i don't know if they'll do vegas again but just something just something you know yeah it's something and i feel like this this big showing was really important for that honestly because they haven't called the the gps after maybe april for next year and you know seeing this big turnout in bologna that that only helps us so i like that yeah for sure so yeah the uh the grand prix in bologna as we mentioned already we got a big turnout there was a uh transportation strike but it didn't seem to affect people and the top eight the decks that uh for three through eight we had uh Oh, fuck, dude. Saying all these European names is going to do me in. Lorenzo Tassone on Bug Delver. Andrea Mangucci on Bug Delver. Andreas Gotts on, Dre- on Dredge. Matt Brown on Sneak and Shell. Yannick DeFlerquin on White Eldrazi with Once Upon a Time. And Franco Caccini on Blue Red Delver. And then the finals... We had uh, Tristan Pultz on, like, a Bug Oko Zenith deck, and the deck that closed on Sunday, like Chick-fil-A, was Mark Voigt playing Bant Miracles. Yeah, so... (laughs) Sorry, what were you saying, Tom? I was about to ask Ian how pumped he was to see White Eldrazi in the finals, where he's been, like, so high on that deck for a really long time. Yes, and when we were talking about uh, regular Eldrazi incorporating Once Upon a Time, I was like, man, I really wish it was White Eldrazi, because you can get Thalia with that, and it's sort of like getting a lock piece. But then I saw no Brushland in this deck, and it just broke my heart. Because that's been what I was trying to do, so... I was really excited when I saw green-white Eldrazi, but it's really just white Eldrazi. But I was still pumped. You're right. Yeah, I haven't I haven't quite looked at the list yet. Um, but one thing I will say about this is, like, for the finals of this GP, a lot of people have been maligning that there isn't GP coverage. For the finals of this GP, I was in a group chat where, like, one person was giving play-by-play breakdown of what was happening. There was play-by-play breakdown from... So he was giving play-by-play from the Miracle side. There's another guy giving play-by-play from the Bug side in, like, Discord somewhere. Um, oh, who is it? Claudio Bonani uh, was live-streaming the finals from, like, his cell phone, which I think is on Julian Knob's well- website. It's julian.com or maybe it's julian23, one of those. Uh, there were, like, Twitter updates. It was insane. Like, um, there was a photo of... Cyrus, uh, Callum, Eric Landon, I think uh, Julian, a bunch of other people sitting at a bar, all like hovered around cell phones, reading Facebook group chats of like what was going on. Just like it's guerrilla coverage. Dude, Anurag Das was doing um, guerrilla coverage of random matches, uh, just like complete play by plays that are on his Twitter. And then, what else was there? There was so, there was something else. Oh, he bought like a streaming backpack or something. Oh to, shit! 
to vlog the GP, but that didn't work out or something. Oof. Yeah, and also I wanted to say things I'm thankful for. They actually did a fucking great job, Channel Fireball, this time. Getting there's some dude named Bradley. I don't know who he is, but he was tweeting out all this shit and posting on Reddit, like all the deck, like you know, all the decks, all 1,597 decks. You know what archetype they were, the day two meta game, which cards were the most prevalent, like all this no. shit that, that they haven't been doing lately. So Just, that was Frank Karsten doing that. Oh, was it? That's I don't not... know if someone else posted it, but that was Frank Karsten. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and, I, saw, um, I saw someone else, but he was probably just reposting Frank. Yeah, and I think that's a byproduct of um, them requiring decks to be submitted online now. Because, like, the, I think they just, somebody just wrote an algorithm to pull all the deck lists and sort them and everything. Yeah, uh, which we, is sweet. we hadn't like, been getting that for other formats, Grand Prix. Yeah, it's, it's like pure gas to get the whole gp um i was pretty happy to see that i haven't looked through all of it but it's like sick right it's really i thought i thought we're gonna sit down and start to go through from 1 to 1597 and pull out lists that we thought were interesting so i did a little bit of research i got to like 190 before i was like forget this (laughs) this is too much dude i looked at like 15 or like 30 decks i think and I was just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's... I was like, what is this four color sacrifice? And then I saw that it was just lands. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, there are a couple decks that are mislabeled. Um, did you see the Winter Orb opposition deck? The bug one? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I always love seeing opposition decks pop up because they're always so, like, random. But Winter Orb opposition? Oh, who hurt you as a child? Also, I, 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 felt like, I felt card. like it was like an old cube deck that I had drafted at some point. All the opposition de- Look, should I play Coiling Oracle in the quarterly this weekend? No. <laughs> <laughs> should I it just not care? Just... Son, Coiling Oracle opposition. Coiling oh, Oracle's really, really... I mean, it's so good in Aloran, you know? Yeah, who wakes up and is just like, you know how many Garrick Wildspeaker I want in my deck? <laughs> one. <laughs> just one. I'm good. Yeah, I had oh, to click on yeah. that. I forgot what that one did. I'm I'm so about this. Yo, Scrib Ranger opposition. Why would Symbiote? I just realized that that's like a combo. Yep. It kind of is just elves too, you know. Like it's it's part elves, part Alluring, and just. 100% suffering? Yeah. Yeah, it's really sick. Magic is a zero-sum game. Uh, what do you think about the recent rise in, like, Carpet of Flowers and basically every blue sideboard to play against each other? Well, I think that if you're talking about Blue Stew versus Blue Stew, that card is just disgusting, it right? It crushes Del- it dub- doubles your mana? Yeah, it also just crushes Delver, right? Like, that's why it started seeing play. People were like, oh, this Rogue Delver deck is, like, destroying my mana base. And it was like, what if we just played Carpet of Flowers? And it's like, oh, yeah, no, you can play that card. Yeah, well, I mean, it started out as, like, a Storm sideboard choice versus decks like that that allows you just to, like, get ahead in the mid-game and avoid mana disruption. But it, 
it's disgusting. I'm honestly a little surprised to still see it, though, because I think it was amazing in that Rug Delver Rem metagame when they're playing, you know, Trops and Volks and everything's going to make a, a mana for Carpet of Flowers. But it seems like there's there's less wastelands now, right? Le- like less getting waste locked and more basic well, lands. So It's nuts in these Veil of Summer Mirrors, right? Like you go turn one Carpet of Flowers on the player. Your opponent doesn't counter it or for whatever reason or can't counter it. Or you like fight yeah. over it even. Right? They play their land and pass. You play your land, do something, maybe pass. They play their land, they do some stuff, maybe. You untap, you make two mana, you play your land, you play your Oko. They force of whatever, you Veil of Summer for free and have mana left over, right? Yeah, that's so, true. Like, these control mirrors are usually dominated by like creating mana advantages as well as like card advantages, and a lot of these decks are moving away from things like Accumulated Knowledge or Predictor, um, even Jace the Mind Sculptor, and they're playing uh, higher quality effects. So just like being able to leverage your higher quality effects at a faster rate than your opponent is backbreaking. So that's that's why Carpet of Flowers is still seeing play. It's just like nuts in these blue mirrors. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, just get that mana. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to say like. These decks are now not playing Jace because of card quality. But I really think it has a lot to do with you want to be able to protect your threats with Veil. And playing stuff with four mana is much easier than doing it with five. Yeah, also, like, people are... Like, every Delver deck is playing three Blasts. Um, I was talking with people maybe playing four Blasts in the sideboard of Miracles again. So, like, Jace is obviously a lot worse in that world. And he's also a lot worse when you're, like, playing a control mirror, and it's like, all right, Jace, uh, tank for a while, tank for a while, tank for a while. I guess I'll brainstorm and hope you don't, like, untap an Oko me or something. And, like, Oko is a really good foil to Jace in that regard. Yeah. So this this first place, I guess we'll start with first place Miracles deck. We're, we're calling it Miracles, you know, as shorthand, and because it's a you know, it's, it is a Terminus deck, but two Ice Fang Coatles, like, this is a big departure. We talked about, I believe it was Anurag's deck last week, which the only green card in the main was Oko, and then there were three Veils and a Carpet in the sideboard. But this deck straight up, you know, we, we already talked about having two Veils main, but also two Ice Fang Coatles in the main, which is a really good card, obviously, but yeah, something that that's... we hadn't really seen incorporated in a Terminus deck yet. That was Stefano who did that. Uh, the Bantless he played or was like shipping the people in the Miracles Cabal, as we call it, uh, uh, had two Ice Fang Coatles. Like, this list is like a hybrid. It's basically, actually, is it exactly Stefano's um, main deck with Pyroblast on the sideboard? Was he on three Okos? I think he may have been on two Oko, two Teferi. Okay. Uh, yeah, I two... had seen that. So he was on two Oko, one Teferi, and then he had Dovin's Vetoes and Council's Judgments. So it's not the same main deck, but it's very close. Yeah. Um, the major differences are the Vetoes became something else, two Veil of Summer, and then a third Oko, and there wasn't another Teferi, right? A third Oko and a Counterspell got into the deck over the two Council's Judgments, and I think those were the only changes to the main deck. 
And then the sideboard obviously is like the volcanic island and the blasts. But it is pretty okay. wild not to see any council's judgments in the seventy-five. Uh, it's not a shock though, right? Like no, all I the planeswalkers guess... people are playing are blue, like Teferi, Narset, Oko, Jace. Those are the planeswalkers of the format. Yeah. Um, yeah, true. Like we've and seen your own Okos kind of count as a semi council's judgment, right? Right. Like you you're playing to... just a different three mana removal spell. And Teferi right. too, yeah. Like Ice Fang Coatl, untap Oko, pump it to three, clock your planeswalkers, like a very real play pattern. Um, and like in terms of like the other walkers we've seen, we saw Liliana the Last Token, the Bug Delver decks, which I even had in my Bug Delver lists, but I was talking to Daniel Golshul about it, uh, and he mentioned that the Lilianas were good solely because people weren't playing Council's Judgment, so he basically would just like play it, force it through or whatever, and then the game would devolve into this weird spot where like. He had to hope that his opponent never had an answer for Liliana, because if he cast a counter spell, they would just Veil of Summer it. So, like, or he just had to hope they'd never cast Entreat the Angels. But it was, like, a good card because it was just, like, a... It wasn't answerable outside of, right. like, the Celestial Purge that some people are playing. And then uh, when you look at, like, Karn, the Karn decks are still kind of keep being kept down by the random Wasteland shells. Yep. And, uh... Yeah, that's kind of just where we're at. Like, all of the relevant Planeswalkers are blue again, and Pyroblast slash Veil are just, like, king. Um, which kinda... Yeah, that's a that's a great case for Celestial Purge, honestly, if if you're only worried about Liliana or something. Council's Judgment is so clunky. Yeah, and that does kind of make me wonder if, like, maybe, maybe it's time to, like, gank blue a bit. Like, I... You know, I love casting Brainstorm and Ponder as much as the next guy, or even more. Uh, but maybe maybe it's time for one of those cards to go. Uh, I don't personally want them to go, but maybe I would be curious to see what would happen to the format if those effects left, and there was more reason to, like, not play blue. Or I guess Now, do you think that a card like Veil of Summer was Wizards' attempt to try to do that, but the blue decks just picked it up instead? I don't think they actually tested the card in Legacy, right? <sighs> like, they, they normally... They've been pretty transparent about not testing a lot of these effects on Eternal formats, and, like, Veil of Summer... Like, it's a card that flew under my radar. Anurag was like, I think this card could, like, actually be nuts. And I was like, eh. Eh. What, I don't know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's nuts, uh, so, scoreboard for Anurag there. Um, but it's just, like, the one-colored co mana effects are so easily splashable that, you know, we saw people abandon Pyroblast for Veil of Summer when Renin 6 was the thing to do, and, like, the control decks weren't as common, so. Yeah. It's, I don't... I don't think it was a conscious decision from Wizards, and I think uh, they didn't realize how powerful the effect would be. Right, like Savage Summoning is a card that exists, and she's almost no play outside of like now Belchers is playing four Veil to Savage Summoning, but or no Veil of Autumn, Veil of Autumn is the card I'm thinking. Oh, of. there we go. Yeah, yeah. It was Savage, like Savage Summoning, Summoning was like the the one green. Your, next... your creature gains flash. 
can't be countered. And then yep. Veil of Autumn is like your spell yeah, just can't be countered. It's Veil of Summer that without the draw clause, more yeah. or less. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you. I think that... uh. I think this is interesting, man. I, I think that I probably would have got blown out in this Grand Prix because I didn't know about a lot of the stuff that you were talking about with regard to the, the sort of planeswalkers being all being blue and everything. Like I'm putting it together now looking at these lists, but I hadn't really gotten to that step. Maybe maybe also because I wasn't testing for this Grand Prix, but it does seem like this meta is ripe to adjust, right, for the quarterly coming up. Yes and no. Um so I mentioned I was like talking to people about decks and we were running through the mental paces of like what to play. And I was like, well, Delver's kind of cool and it's good against combo. Like Theo Jung or Young, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name. He made the finals of the Legacy Challenge this weekend with Grixis mm-hmm. uh, Delver. And I was talking to him during like the course of the tournament and we were just like, I don't think Grixis Delver is that good. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to touch this deck after this tournament. Uh, and he was just like, I just bodied a bunch of combo and just lost to a bunch of fair stuff. Like, just getting destroyed by the... these, you know, seven basic lane Astrolabe decks because a lot of your avenues attack are getting cut off and Veil of Summer is really good against your thought seizes and et cetera, et cetera, right? Or, like, Bug Delver has been doing well and, like, in my testing, it's uh, been performing shockingly well, but there's still the worry of, like, Bug Delver is traditionally, or Bug Shells are traditionally really bad against opposing Jace Shells. And if people may be gravitating towards, like, the Bant or Four-Color Miracles or, like, the Thomas Mar Five-Color Control deck, there's a worry that these Bug Shells, which are heavily based around building forward momentum and often lean in on utilizing Discard to cripple their opponents... If they can't do that, then what can they really do in the long game? Uh, yeah, probably it's, die. It's like the the Virgin Wasteland deck against the Chad Astrolabe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always been this like this sort of uh, hierarchy and legacy where you have Bug being at sort of the higher end of the Delver spectrum. And the four-color control versions just being good against that Delver deck, but not great against combo and some of the other things that Delver preyed upon. So I feel like all of that is just stuff that we'd seen before. You know what I mean? Yeah, like formats are ecosystems, and I think Delver serves a vital role in Legacy, um... It's funny that Bug is doing so well because I wrote an article a few weeks ago about why I generally avoid touching Bug Delver. And one of my major reasons was just like people build these decks terribly and they're always like a bunch of really clunky mana intensive cards, but also the lack of reach is a problem because if your opponent ever stabilizes, it's very hard for these decks to ever cross the finish line. Yep. And so you you talked you talked a, a little earlier about how legacy has devolved into the sort of the blue stew and veil of summer is just a huge part of what's going on and blue planeswalkers are as well is it time for our boy death and taxes to come back a little bit it was, it was two two in the finals of the ptq yeah uh, 
isn't death and taxes just like always the same? Uh, either you're a master of the deck and you play it very well, or you're not a master of the deck and your opponent is playing against like, you know, <laughs> not Innistrad. Um, what is Theros mono white devotion? Right, like, <laughs> like. The, so I think I think there's definitely times where death and taxes is better. Right, but like, like it. There are times where it's like better positioned, but it's often heavily based on the player. And I okay. think um, I that's just how I always see that deck. I don't I don't think there's a meta game where death and taxes is insane. I think it's just like. Death and Taxes is instantly getting hated out because of Ren and Six and Play Engineer being so ubiquitous within the format. And now, like, Ren and Six is gone, and, like, the Plague Engineer decks are all converting into not Plague Engineer decks because uh, Veil of Summer is pushing black removal as an axis of attack. Like, or, it's not pushing it out of the format, but it's, like, very di- di- disincentivizing it? De-incentivizing it? Um... So, like, I think Devon Texas is probably fine, but I think it's not like a deck you just want to pick up, right? It's just like it's playable again. Um, yeah, yes, I think that okay. there's there's two main things that I don't like, and honestly, Tom, like as the week progressed after we made our predictions, I was like, man, I kind of wish I put a Death and Taxes in the top eight that we picked. So I feel you on that. But then looking at these numbers from the Grand Prix, first of all, Veil of Summer is kind of negating the spot as Lawrence sort of just mentioned, like negating the black spot removal. So we're seeing more like Terminus and Dead of Winter sort of sweeper style effects. And then the second most played car, uh, creature in this entire Grand Prix, not even just like one copy, but just an overall number of copies was still Plague Engineer. So I'm wondering if Death and Taxes doesn't need to be like rebuilt and i didn't actually take a look at those top two lists to see how similar they were to like previous death and taxes lists or how many humans uh, they had people are playing like three to four mom one um or like yeah. intervalson played one four to mom, two giver one giver or like one to two giver uh there's been two of uh Marin crusader that i've been seeing in lists i like um, that so like they're the, the, I don't think the death in taxes players have gone back to centralizing their deck around a bunch of X ones. Uh, but I think that, I, I think that's smart, but I also think that, um, these black decks are just like getting very punished right now. It's, it's like they're good against combo kind of like, as long as the combo decks aren't running veil of summer and like sneak and show is and storm is, and it's like those are the two combo shells that you really care about in the format. So, where are you going to go from there? You yeah. Know? Uh, I don't know. I I really hate to just like say death and taxes is good, and it's like if you give Thomas Intervals and death and taxes, or you give Michael Bond death and taxes, or like I I tend to think of less the deck and more the pilots. Uh, of that that archetype and that's how i kind of weigh how well the deck will go like leading into the tournament julian now mentioned that he thought thomas intervalson would probably be like a favorite to one of the favorites to win the tournament 
he unfortunately did day two. Um, but I, you know, I generally am willing to agree that Innovolson is uh, one of those players who you put money on if it was legal to do so within Magic or something. Um, and we were going to see. Hey, where there's Magic, a will, there's a way. Magic Pro Tour fantasy sports. Like, I know we already see one that, like, Hipsters runs, but I'm talking, like, DraftKings, real money. No, we're not. Never mind. What am I talking about? I think um, the prizes are so shit in Magic, people would be, like, incentivized to throw to throw it away. Yeah. What's the dude, bro? What's his name? Uh, he's a French-Canadian player. He's a beard. Uh, Pascal a... Maynard. Yeah, there we go. Pascal Maynard. He, like, works with a company that kind of does that, right? Like, card game sports betting or, like, eSports betting or something along okay. those lines. I didn't know that. I think so. Uh, and I right. think he's done stuff like that, sort of like a DraftKings sort of, like, going into this pro tour, place your bets on how well a player will do or something like that. Um, but I don't know if he's still doing that. I haven't seen a post about it in a while. I think he, sure. I think he bubbled the MPL and he's been sort of bitter ever since. Cause I, he, I'm a, I followed him on Twitter for a while. And he had some some kind of spicy takes. I was enjoying it, but I think a lot of people bubbled the MPL and then like had no idea what was going on with their life for yeah, yeah. a process of like you know ten months or something absurd like that. However long it's been, yeah. So rip, rip. So the second place deck that. Uh, Tristan, I'm just going to say Pulsal. I don't know how to say this. Tristan Pulsal. Uh, this deck, I think this is the most interesting deck of all the ones I looked at so far. Because it looks scarily similar to like a doodle that I made the day after Ren and Six was banned. Just as like, okay, these are temporary <clears throat> numbers until I figure out which is better. Like two Gilded Goose and two Noble Hierarch. You know what I mean? Two Courser of Crufix. Uh, one questing beast, one scavenging ooze, two Leovald. This is like very much like these are placeholder numbers, but obviously this deck had been thought about a lot and made the this, fucking this finals. Is, this is like Nate Golia's message to us. Yes. It was it was these exact cards. And when I read it, I was like, this shit's awful. <laughs> and now we're top 80 to Grain Free, and I'm like, nah, maybe I should look at it. This is mono so so this, this is like Mono Green Aggro, and someone's like, oh, I can play four copies of Oko, and if I do that on turn two, my opponents die. And it's like, well, I'm playing black or blue and green. I gotta be able to kill things. So I guess I'll throw in some Abrupt Decays, right? Like, that's what this deck is. It's, um, it's just bug stuff. Yeah, uh, and this has a soft spot in my heart for sure, because this is one of those blue no ponder decks that tom and i know a little bit about where like everybody wants to put ponders in these decks but you know when you're playing like green sun tutor packages and stuff you just run out of room at some point and yeah, the, you want to be sun, tapping out every turn you know yeah the green sun definitely definitely takes the place of ponder in the shell yep. you ever seen someone green sun for the questing beast bro it's <sighs> it's something that green didn't have for so long was like uh a serious haste creature that you could green sun for. It was just like a hole. 
The questing piece is messed up because it's bigger than almost everything in Legacy, and it can't be blocked by almost everything in Legacy. So, like, you just have to answer that card. <laughs> it's, oh my god. Yeah, and you can't decay it, you know? Yeah, this guy, I want to say this person didn't lose a match until the finals. Yep. Something like that. It's, it's The questing beast is basically just Elder Spell, right? Like in this format? Yeah, it just murders everything. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's really awesome. And it's cool to see it show up, you know? It's one of those new cards that you don't hate seeing. But this deck, man, this deck is really, it's really pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm really happy to see a deck like this doing well. It is, you know, just kind of a stewy, astrolabe deck that, you know, and I guess we have seven out of eight possible Okos in the finals, but I don't know. Yeah, this I, is my favorite, my favorite deck from the finals. Definitely, sure. me too. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever missed Accenture back in Entreat the Angels, but, um, that's what I call pot racing. Uh, I don't know. Like all of those, all those shells, maybe I'm just, I, I never really enjoyed playing miracles, but just dirtle, dirtle, dirtle and treat doesn't, doesn't get me. Oh, doesn't, gotta... doesn't do it for me. Now give me, give me a first turn. Mother of runes, turn two, Stoneforge mystic. <laughs> now, now we're talking. <laughs> You need that uh, thrill in life. <laughs> I do. I need no. I need no protection. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. Yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna cut that yet. <laughs> Bro, look at the Trinisphere. Look at this Chad with the fucking Trinisphere in the sideboard too. He boarded that in in the finals and it, like won him a game or almost won him game three. Um. The play-by-play, there was, like, a long period where he, like, could have played a Jace, but didn't because, like, if his opponent just had a counterspell, like, he just gets bodied. And it, it was it was a really interesting read. Um, like I said, finals should be up on itsjulian.com. One Leyline of the Void, one Meek Stone. I fucking love this. I, this is just... This guy's a psycho. This guy should probably... Hey, that's what we call legacy deck building. Yeah, I love it. So the Bug Delver decks, pretty similar, and pretty similar to what we expected after seeing what had done well the week before. There were uh, three and four Fatal Pushes, respectively. We we did our predictions on the format, like what we, what we thought would be in the top eight of Bologna, but we did it at the end of our episode last week, and I kind of regretted it because... Part of the what's so cool about doing like the top eight predictions is doing like why we feel those decks got in there, and we sort of shortcutted it because we were already long on the episode. And uh, the the reason that I really liked Bug was the versatility of the deck, uh, and we we didn't really get into it. But these decks I feel like are not exactly what I expected because, you know, with with the three and four fatal pushes, they're not as versatile as you know just being able to play abrupt decay, right? Uh, potentially. Like, my list is a bit different from Minguchi's. I have seven removal spells main, which may be a bit too much. Um, I may move a Fatal Push to the sideboard or something, or make some tweaks. Uh, I 
as the deck building genius I am, I added a third copy of Oko to my deck. But nice. I may <laughs> I may just make that a Liliana of the Last Hope and utilize another spot as a Liliana of the Last Hope. I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm kind of worried to play Bug just because these control decks tend to destroy it. Uh, a lot of the times you're just like this black-green deck where like your green cards kind of don't matter, and your black cards are annoying, and then your blue cards are the ones that matter, so you just get pyroblasted out of the game. Yeah. Uh, so I... Well, now your black cards get pyroblasted too, so... Yeah, buddy! It's just a lose-lose. It, honestly, like, I... I really liked Bug Delver, but now all the reasons I liked it feel invalid. So it, it feels like, you know, when you're right for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. It's like the reason I've liked, I, I, I can't say I've liked, the reason Bug Delver has impressed me is that uh, Goyf is still really good. Yep. And by playing a threat suite of like Goyf, Gurmag, and Delver, all of your threats are like kind of hard to answer for a lot of decks. Or, like, just enough. And a lot enough of your threats are just, like, big enough that you can, like, get them down fast, slap your opponent, and then close out the game with, like, Oko or something. Whereas, um, in the past, I haven't been happy with Bug Delver because there's been a lot of frail cards. There's been, like, Dark Confidants. And uh, I think Deathrite Charm was integral to the strategy, but it's still, like, a frail body. And uh, I think... I don't know. I think the deck is, like... It's doing well. I don't think it should be doing well, but turn one thought sees is really good. And I found that you can usually slip thought sees into windows uh, where they don't have veil up because you're a deck that's providing pressure, you know? Or yeah. you can like thought sees into one open mana and just daze the veil. Just stuff like that. So, so you just cast Delver into one open mana and then they have to answer it, you know? tap out and then you thought sees so it's like it, it you can definitely bob and weave right yeah like, exactly. a good a good player can do well with this deck it's not like it's it's you know criminally underpowered or something but i would rather be the questing beast bug deck honestly so you know i, I can understand what happened here so the other the other delver deck franco chichini oh. But I will say that, like, the bigger bug decks tend to win in these mirrors. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Like, heads up, just, like, you have more stopping power, I think. Does this guy even have Fatal Push in his deck? Is it actually just a bunch of creatures and then Abrupt Decay and Oko? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Bro, Fatal Push is for suckers. That's wild. I love that. Because he's on 19 blue cards. He really can't afford to play Fatal Push. You mean Forcible? Or no. Fatal? I'm saying he can't afford to cut anything. Like, you know, he, he'd be straight right. cutting cre creature for a Fatal Push at this point, like a green creature. Because he's on the lowest number of lands and the no lowest number of blue cards he could possibly be on already. This isn't even like a, like a control deck. This is just like... It's not an aggro deck, and it's like not quite a mid-range deck. That's It's... Bro, you huh. know what it is, though? It's the deck that Reed Duke won Louisville with. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that deck. Like, that deck that can squeeze in. Didn't Reed have removal? His his deck was, like, more classically built. What I'm saying is, like, normally we confine decks to certain um, archetypes, right? To, like, kind of let our brains understand them, put them within a certain box. Mid-range control, aggro control, whatever, right? Yeah. But this deck is, like, not aggro. It's not 
it's like mid-range, but normally mid-range decks have more disruption than this. It's just like, here's a bunch of X4s that you can't emotionally handle, or something. <laughs> or like, here's Oko. This deck is literally just four Oko, and then like, <laughs> 72 other cards. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It, it's... It's wild. But anyway, onto onto the blue red deck. Four Dreadhold Arcanist, so DHA in the top eight. This is uh this is really close to the blue red decks that we'd seen before Modern Horizons came around. It's basically exactly one of those decks, except it has a brazen borrower in the main and another one in the sideboard and a force of negation in the sideboard. But other than that, this is just classic blue red with stifles. It's like the stifle build. And, uh, yeah, this deck, this deck is fucking mean. And actually I saw, what's his name? Uh, Peter Vanderham, I think his name is played, uh, played the PTQ with blue red and said he went five one and his loss was to the mirror with robber of the rich. So I just wanted to point that out real quick. Cause I'm, I've been waiting for that card to show up in blue red Delver for a minute now. Yeah. I heard honor. I got bodied by robber. I fucking love robber, man. I haven't tried it. Um, it's so good when it works. When you're on the play, it's 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 honestly like one of the best cards I've ever played with when you're on the play. But you, you can't rely on being on the play, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Hit him with the, I'll take the draw. You're putting yep. mulligans to, like, Oblivion, right? And you're just, like, turn one Delver Secrets. There you go. <laughs> Is that the new tech? Did you just Could break be. the format? Could be. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about blue red, honestly. Like it's it's still the deck that it's always been, right? Yeah. Uh, it's burn for people who don't want to say they're playing burn. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just efficient. Yeah, that's that's all blue red is. It's just like you're playing burn, but you want to be able to force will things sometimes and cast brainstorm. So you know, I can I can respect that. Yep. And then the last deck, you know, Dredge is Dredge, and it did well. And I think it was a great call, actually, in retrospect. I wasn't thinking of it in advance, but in retrospect, I think it was a great call for the weekend. But uh, Yannick did Flare Quinn with uh, the White Eldrazi, Sean Riggin deck. This is fucking clean. I really like this deck. Like, all the all the fours and twos just sort of put my OCD at ease. <laughs> it ends three once upon a time, which is... You know, the perfect number of once upon a time, really. Yeah, but. it's... I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. I, I get what you're saying about the lack of, like, Brushland. Yeah, the, like, two, Brushland. the two one two windswept teeth, one Savannah. Like, this person came to fuck, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, I know I'm only going to want to cast this card on turn 13 through Thalia. Like, who cares? Yo, does Leon and Arbiter shut down Once Upon a Time? No. You look so, at the top five, not a search. I think that that's what I would want to be doing, honestly. I think that I would cut the Windswept Heaths and the Savannah, play the Brushlands, and put fucking Leon and Arbiter in here as, like, Thalia 5 and 6. Leon and Arbiter is kind of gross. Um, it is. It's just, like, another Thalia, you know, like another thing you can find on turn one with Once Upon a Time. I think... I think the thing is, is like, 
if you're playing Leon and Arbiter, you probably just cut the Once Upon a Times because you're already playing a higher threat density true, at true. that point. So, like, if you're already looking at that card as just, like, extra Thalias, then you don't need the, the Onces to be your extra yeah. Thalias. There's this weirdness, too, I just realized, where Once doesn't hit Mox Diamond where it hits uh, Elvis Spirit Guide in the other deck. So there is that kind of weirdness where it can't actually help you cast a turn one Thalia. Unless yeah. you unless you just needed a second land and had the diamond already. Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a clean deck though, and man, this deck this deck can really fuck you up. Like I, I have a lot of respect for this deck. I think you know, I don't think it gets it gets played commensurate with its uh with how good the Power deck level. is. It's power level, thank you. But here it is, so happy to see it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like, I don't have many thoughts on the Eldrazi shells. I've felt pretty down on them for a while, uh, but it looks like they're kind of back. Um, the graveyard shells I've been interested in. I played a little Hogak recently, it went terribly, but... Uh, you know, sometimes that happens. Uh, but did you guys know that uh, Opposition Winter Orb did well at this GP? <laughs> we, we talked about it. I was super pumped. I, mean, I was pumped when I saw the Eldrazi deck because I thought about Ian and how his baby finally had a day in the sunshine. That's right. But oh, they had opposition. two Garrick Wild speakers, not one. Two. Ugh. So you, know, you guys, you guys had to explain. You guys have to explain this opposition deck because I know there's somebody listening who has no no fucking idea what this means. Okay, so let me explain opposition to you. When you're drafting cube, you take a bunch of green mana dorks and then you draft this card that makes the match miserable for your opponent. It is a two blue and two enchantment that allows you to tap an untapped creature you control to tap a permanent. Any permanent. So you play a bunch of value one and two drops and you tap all your opponent's mana on their upkeep every fucking turn. It's awesome. It's yeah, like you smokestack Yeah, it's smokestack or one-sided smokestack kind of or wrist and port. And uh, yeah, it's... I love when people show up to the GPs with their cube decks and do well. This is... I love this. I love everything that's going on right now. Um, I just want to know, 36 points, I want to know how many draws, if that includes three draws or not. Um, it was it was 11, 1, and 3. Yes. Three draws. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the tweet for it, and I was like, no, 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 I have to look this deck up. And I saw it, and I was like, ooh, baby. If your opponent fetches a Dryad Arbor to opposition you, you're probably not conceding the match. No. <laughs> like you're just like nah we're riding this out together if you're gonna play coiling oracle but not play Aluren, you're asking for that draw so you know it, it's unfortunate that time limits being what they are maybe this deck is susceptible to getting a lot of draws but it's really cool to see someone play it and yeah you just yeah. play cards like coiling oracle that just get you ahead on cards and when you're playing every card as a rishadon port you know, getting ahead on cards, you're eventually just going to be able to tap them down and then start playing your own second game on top of that. So it's really and the worst. The worst thing about this deck is the time concerns are probably worse online because you can shortcut your taps in paper, mm -hmm. but 
opposite, like trying to play opposition where you're tapping seven lands every turn is fucking awful. Oh God, yeah. That's a great point for why this deck doesn't see more playing paper. And you guys were talking about some cute shit with uh, Symbio and uh, Scrib Ranger too. There's a lot. Yeah. Of yeah, you can you can randomly like untap your stuff to get that extra port in, uh, which you know plays perfectly into into Winter Orb, which doesn't affect your quad Gaius Cradle, you know. So. Yeah. Oh, Winter Orb Gaius Cradle too. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. You only get to untap one land, but you know you only need the one. That is sick. So yeah, this is the uh, second appearance of Gilded Goose in this tournament already that we're talking about. And one of the great things about playing opposition is you get to play Veil of Summer. It's true. So over <laughs> and over, we're seeing these themes. They're starting to pile up, man. A lot of Leovolves in this tournament, too. People like that card way more than I do. <laughs> oh, I, love, oh. I, I used to love that card. I haven't played it in a while. Every time it's I play I don't want to say it's been unplayable lately, but like Narset really sort of knocked it down a knocked it down a peg. Every time I've played the card Leovol, I'm just like, why? Why would I? Why? Like, I the last cast... time yeah. the fir- first tournament I played Leovol in, my lands opponent ported me twice, and then Punishing fired my mana dork, and I was like, <laughs> you go, you you do you. We're gonna ride this out. <laughs> and then he stopped doing all of that. And I was like, all right, you figured it out. Good for you. <laughs> Bro, how much did Leovold cost last time you cast it? Uh, it was probably like 30 bucks. <laughs> down down from the 50 it was on release. Yeah. Yeah, it's like 7 bucks now. It's amazing. Don't don't tell my wife that. <laughs> so yeah, one thing looking at this like the rest of the top 64 or whatever. Ton of depths, man. Way more depths than I would have expected. There's got to be at least five of them in the top 32. Wasn't depths, like, fairly popular during Ren and Six era? Because, like... Oh, it was the, really popular, yeah. Like, the Ren and Six decks were, like, awkwardly slow and would lean in on that card way more than they should to beat depths. So, like, the depths players just, like, played a faster depths list. Yeah, and Plow was basically non-existent. Yeah, plow was non-existent, but like a lot of depths players tend to like the plow matchups because you just like Foxy's plow and then surgical it, yep. and then usually leave those players kind of uh, dead in the water. Or at worst, it just like makes you you're both playing top decks and you're the better top deck deck. Yeah, exactly. Because you've gained twenty life, you know. But yeah, this is uh this is still way I I don't know. This is like a in the in the top thirty two at least. This is like a fifteen to twenty percent depths. This is just like way more. And actually, some of these are labeled Hogak depths, and some of these are labeled Golgari depths. Like I haven't clicked through to see like if the Hogak depths is like that Zan Syed build, or if it's just you know depths with a couple of Hogaks. But uh, Hogak depths was like a hybrid. It would it played like um. Stitcher Supplier and all of that. Yeah, the stuff, first right? one I clicked on is like all in like Stitcher Supplier deck, yeah. Right. And then like the the deck that Zan played or as Lotus Bach calls it, Shrek the Musical. Yeah. Um was green white depths. Which I I haven't seen in 
since the ban of Ren and Six. Have people just dropped that deck, or is this just like purely anecdotal that I haven't seen it? Oh no, I was I was talking about like the the bug Hogak depths that he played. Uh, he did play that green white deck too, yeah. Or actually, I, I probably said the wrong name then. It's probably not Zan because I think you're right. Are you talking I, about Tom Hef? No, I'm not. But it's a similar deck to that. I, I saw like a, a Hogak bug shell. Was Tom playing uh, Hogak? No, he's still no. playing bug. Okay. He's playing Turbo Deaths now, actually. He uh, dropped the blue. Yeah, he's just like this format is. He he's not necessarily happy with the format, and it's just like kill you on turn fast. That's so sad. Walmart like pushed out his local store branding and now he needs to compete with black green. That's not, that's not okay. I think it may just because the be because the format is like so in flux, but also like with everyone playing brazen bar and Oko, you can't just play the same game where you would just like make a 2020 and just grind your opponent into the dust with it. And, like, sure, they would play some things, and you would have some arbitrary thing that gave a trout or whatever. Uh, now you just need to kill people, because it's like, yeah, UT, Brazen Borrower, you crop rotation for Sejiri Step, untap Oko, you're 2020. It's just, like, a different dynamic, right? It makes more sense to play a faster deck so that you can uh, capitalize on these play patterns. I'm still that trying to sense. process Tom's uh, Bernie Sanders Walmart analogy there. No, I'm just I'm just saying like he used to have his own like he was the local depths store. You know what I'm saying? Like the the main street in the specialty local, shop. Yeah, our local okay. our local depth store. Yeah. And then and then this format changes and black green comes in and lowers all the prices and now now bugs out of business. So it's automation is the story, I guess. I guess. I guess it is. Yeah. Don't shop online. Don't check yourself out at the stores. Eat the rich. <laughs> well, well, maybe not go that far. Maybe, maybe not that far. Saying, <laughs> Oh, true story though. As soon as as soon as I said, "Hey guys, please don't tell my wife how much Leovold dropped in price." I heard my bedroom door creak open. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That happened. That happened. Every episode. So she's listening. She's gonna listen to this full episode. So yeah, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Oh, bro. Speaking of which, the the kid who I talked to, my my uh, wife's coworker's boyfriend, listen. Oh, imaginary person. Imaginary person. He listened to our episode last week, dude. My wife told him that he was in our episode, and he listened to it. So now I like I got to be careful what I say, and I. We're already an hour in, and I haven't been careful at all. Fuck. Oh, no. One of the... He's not, like... He's kind of an executive of the company that I work for. Like, I mentioned that I do a magic podcast, and he was like, oh, I want to listen to it to support you or something. I'm just like, oh. That's <laughs> you, <weird."> No. <laughs> I like my job, and I would not <laughs> like you to do that. <laughs> oh, no. Like... <laughs> Oh, I I do somewhat terrorize the people at my job. Just bring up random weird things and just walk into their conversations, completely derail them. It's it's all just terrible. I'm I'm kind of a terrible yeah. person, but you know. Michael Jackson's mistake was he never should have been a singer. 
I mean, okay, so if we're talking about Michael Jackson. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> saying he should have been a priest. Lawrence, that's that's Negrodamus. <laughs> that's that's old school Chappelle's Negrodamus. And um... it's, dude, it's been forever. So I forgot that that was even a Chappelle reference. I was Me just like, too, oh, bro. I thought I came up with that. And it's almost like Chappelle show. I was like, what? Or no, Jarvis <laughs> messaged me. It was like, I had to Google Negrodamus. And I was like, and then I Googled it. I was like, fuck, I'm not original. <laughs> No, but really, you know what makes me you know like, it makes me feel really old. I, the Chappelle show was like twenty years ago. It wasn't twenty uh, years ago. Fuck. It was like yeah, two thousand one, two thousand two. It's almost oh twenty years God. ago. Yeah. I I didn't hit puberty by the time Chappelle show started. That's uh, wild. I was in my twenties. You know, I lived in the. Uh, Had you like, hit puberty though, Tom? <laughs> not, not. I still haven't. I still so, haven't. I have a kid. You know, I, know. I lived in the same town as Chappelle for a while, right? Yo, I feel like we we did we talk about that a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yellow Springs, Ohio. Um... I might have been like about to ask you that because I just watched his his special and he was talking about like Ohio and like living in like uh, buying a gun in Ohio and stuff. And you were talking about Walmart, but I feel like I I didn't actually ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, the Walmart is the one that that guy got shot in. Um, he mentioned Kmart, but that Kmart closed. Okay. Or something. I think he just did that because he didn't want to mention the Walmart that a guy got shot in. <laughs> uh, because that's the closest Walmart to Yellow Springs. Um, <sighs> buckshot, buckshot, buckshot. <laughs> Bro, that, 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 that was a Aren't you supposed to be more buckshot. careful with what you, what you say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's on God. <laughs> Ian's just expressing his African American heritage. <laughs> oh, bro, were we supposed to do the Kwanzaa special? <laughs> the Kwanzaa? <laughs> Nobody celebrates Kwanzaa. Like even people who celebrate Kwanzaa don't really celebrate Kwanzaa. Like, <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Chappelle's cool. <laughs> Uh, we just like see him walking around town and like talk to him and it's like kids would be fucking riding their bikes around you know just, yeah, yeah. those are Chappelle's kids you nobody see, gave a shit you seen him? yeah 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 no like I know where, I, I don't know if she still lives there but like I knew exactly the house where his mom lived in like so Yellow Springs is a super small town um, the nearest places around it are like 15 minute drives through cornfields, right? It's the type of place where people will drive home, get out of their car, leave their car unlocked, walk into their house that is also unlocked and just like not lock their doors. Like it's one of those places where you're like, yeah. you kind of just know everybody. Okay. It's like, it, just imagine like the archetypical like rural town, but you're not going to get called a nigger. Um, <laughs> So that's that's Yellow Springs. Wow. And um, yeah, it's really weird. It's like the Greater Dayton area is like a bunch of meth, heroin, and fentanyl, and then Yellow Springs is like weed with meth, heroin, and fentanyl like hidden. It's people don't really openly talk about it, but it's like there. But like nobody, it's not a big of a problem. So like 
you know, like, um, you could just like decide to go for a walk at 3 a.m. because nobody's going to do anything. So it's like a Massachusetts town in the middle of Ohio. Yeah, it's like the plot of a Stephen King novel. Yes. It's like like exactly the opening of a Stephen King novel. You know, there's like the one grocery store and there's like the two comic book shops and there's like the one place that sells like crystals or something. Um, (laughs) I wish Western Mass. Absolutely Western Mass. I'm not making this up. There's like the there's like a massage parlor slash yoga studio and stuff like that. There's like a craft walking out of the massage parlor. Yeah, there's like Uh, a. I thought that I didn't want to say it. There's like an old guy who sits on the corner every day, you know. There's like the guy who has his pet raccoon or had his pet raccoon when I lived there. Like it's it's literally just like the opening of a Stephen King novel. <laughs> um and that's where Chappelle lived for some period of time or still does. I don't know. I don't keep tabs on the guy. Uh but uh yeah, he I would like run into him periodically and he was just like a chill dude. See, I've never been starstruck, and I'm also, like, I have, like, face blindness, so, like, I don't recognize stars when I do meet them. But, like, Chappelle, I would fucking lose it. Like, I would recognize him, obviously, and, like, because he's, he's just, like, so distinct and, like, I don't know. There's there's nobody else like Dave Chappelle, right? Like, the thing about it is, like, his stage persona is, like, way different from, like, who he is in person. So, like, he's just, like, a chill dude when you interact with him. So, like, you would see, like, random people who aren't from Yellow Springs like interact with Dave Chappelle and lose their shit. And it was just like, wow, bruv, you should not just, bruh, chill. I feel like, see, that would be me. That would be me, unfortunately. And it, it would suck because I'd explain to him, like, I don't, I've never done this before, but he wouldn't believe me. <laughs> that's, what every, that's what everybody would say. <laughs> no, it's cool. I've hung out with bone thugs. <laughs> <laughs> I've had Nick Swartzen buy me a drink in West Hollywood, man. Uh, trust me, this is no big deal. Uh, it's so weird that Bone Thugs like nephews formed a band. Oh, that was actually good. Like it that, was surprisingly good. Like yeah. Like I, I remember seeing that and I was like, oh, it's gonna be one of those things that's com- gonna be complete garbage. It's like yeah. oh, that was okay, okay. Yeah. But the weird thing is, like, I, I tried searching for more stuff, and it was just, like, there was, like, one article from, like, 2017 or whatever that dropped, like, their first single or mixtape or whatever dropped, and then there was just, like, nothing. And I was like, man, why didn't somebody pick these guys up? Like, what's going they a, on? They have a YouTube page, and, like, they'll sometimes collaborate with Busybone. Yeah. But I, what is Bone Thugs doing? Like, you, they, they exist, and they, like, randomly do features, right? But, like, yeah. nothing else? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the dynamics. Is it, is it time that we like make a fan push to bring back Bone Thugs? Is this gonna be my my job while I'm in Cleveland? I feel I feel like you need to recruit. Yeah, I mean, you know, white guy who brings back Bone Thugs that can at least become the plot of a movie ten years from now. <laughs> You're yes, absolutely. And you know what? You can get Nelly. You can get Nelly to do a feature. How do I oh. reach these thugs? <laughs> I can hear your German audience just leaving, just (laughs) clicking the (laughs) button. 
<laughs> They're like, what is going on? I don't first get it. Zang- first we lose Angela Merkel, then we lose the dead format. It's been tough. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to, like, call out our na- our international podcast rankings, but last time you were on, we lost a lot in Germany, <laughs> So, I'm just... <laughs> but they don't want to hear about the crack-laden streets of Dayton, Ohio? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Yo, my... So, like, the fun thing about Ohio... Slash minorly terrifying is that, like, a lot of people are just politically incorrect. So, like, I I technically have two bosses. Both are female. One's Jewish and one is uh, four foot ten. So the four foot ten boss at one point made a hashtag me too joke. That was not supportive of the movement. I was just like, oh, um, yeah, I like money more than I justice. I need to pay my bills and I can't pay that in like white guilt. <laughs> oh <laughs> <So>. my god. <laughs> so. Can I can I completely take that out of context and make that our intro? <laughs> that was a great quote. <laughs> I may put that on Twitter. Um <laughs> But uh, the other boss is Jewish, and she, like, made a Holocaust joke randomly. I was just like, okay, okay. This is Ohio. Everybody's, like, kind of just dead inside. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. We'll make (laughs) terrible jokes about genocide and humans dying. Just see how how hard everybody laughs, I guess. Yeah, you know, speaking of Germans... uh, it's Julian23 on Twitch. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Great legacy stalwart. <laughs> Isn't his job to, like, colonize Africa, too? Is he, he... <laughs> he does. <laughs> Wait, what? He, he, he like, so... hold on one second. It's really hot. I need to take my shirt off. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Okay, I've been laughing so hard, I'm pretty sure my body temperature's raised by 20 degrees. No, he does, like, uh, safaris in Africa. Really? He, yeah, yeah, he he like works for, that? like, a... Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> if you ever want to, like, grow it up with some lions, play some maverick mirrors, you know, Julie, <sighs> uh, can provide both. Wow. Yo, he let me down by not playing elves, I gotta say. When I, when I picked elves, like one quarter of that that equity was that Julian would be there playing elves. Yeah, he Maverick. He played Maverick. Yeah. He loves Maverick, dude. That was that was like his first deck, and I, I made a joke about him colonizing Africa, but I, I really like him. Yeah, Julian's cool. <laughs> so Tom, I, I'm surprised you haven't mentioned this yet, man. Three Bomberman decks in the top forty. This was like your your baby. This was always your uh, your dark horse pick for the last few GPs. Well, I thought it was the best Chalice deck for a while, but Chalice just hasn't been great. And it's nice to see it, like, finally show up. Um, but I'm not I'm not super high on it right now. The one thing, though, is the Graveyard Hate, the, for the reasons that I, I actually, like, in retrospect, like Dredge for this tournament, I think that Bomberman kind of benefits from that, too. Like, we're not seeing the hard Graveyard Hate, you know? There's not, like... Yeah, uh, like, we saw one... I'm sorry. 
The white green Eldrazi deck. How many Leylands was it playing? <laughs> I th- uh, there was one. Wait, one was in the the bug deck. The the right. the green white deck probably had three or four. Okay, so yeah, I mean that's that's all we're seeing in the top eight. The top forty, it's probably even less. A lot more surgical, and obviously, like surgical isn't great against Bomberman, but they have Chalice to be able to mitigate that. The problem is there's way more abrupt decays and um, uh, not heroes downfall. Assassin uh, trophy. Assassin's trophy that we're seeing that kind of deal with that yeah. that um angle but so actually the the Eldrazi deck just had two rips oh okay it's interesting so we actually uh mentioned on my cast that uh Hogak slash Eldrazi could be good my prediction was Hogak would be better because you have a little more agency with your mana yeah. but uh like uh what is it not Eldrazi, Dredge, sorry. Uh, Dredge is awkward because, like, the good players know how to play against Dredge, right? It's, it's like the people who see the turn zero LED, they're going to forcible it. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, like, that that was kind of our worry with that deck. What I found with Hogak was that I was mulling infinite sevens and just had a lot of, like, non-functional hands, which may have just been, like, really bad luck. Uh, It's hard to say. I I don't think I was playing the deck optimally. But uh, I I do think these graveyard shells could be good. But it is kind of scary when the GP winning deck list is, like, two contained priests, a rest in peace, and a surgical extraction, right? Yeah. There's a a lot going on there that uh, that's painful. Yeah, that's not that's a cabal therapist nightmare. Quite quite the diverse uh, graveyard hate. Yeah. All right. So as we mentioned uh, before, the the PTQ, the Friday PTQ that was Legacy, had uh, two Death and Taxes decks facing off in the finals. The rest of the top eight was Bant Control, Ant, Grixis Delver, Pile. Rug Delver and Blue Red Delver. And I feel like that's notable because those are seven of those eight decks are decks that we haven't talked about yet. Like, totally, totally different results than the Grand Prix at large. Yeah, and usually the Friday PTQ is very indicative of what's going to happen in the main event. And it just wasn't. It absolutely wasn't at all. Yeah, it's really pretty wild to look at. This is like, this is what you expect to see with like the Sunday SCG Classic, you know? Not, right, but not the usually Friday you have that like sort of like weeding out, right? Where everybody else is playing like in the main event still, right? And this happened before everybody could have got on board. It's uh, it's strange. It is really strange. This band control deck too. This is this is sexy. Now I didn't get a chance to actually look at the, this list before right now. So I saw Band Control, and I sort of imagined what the the three four color miracles deck was in the top eight. But you want to tell everybody how it's different? Yeah, well, it, is just, it's uh... it is pretty close to that deck, but it has uh, Archmage's Charm, which I hadn't seen pop up. And then this is on the full full four. Is that the triple blue draw counterspell draw two? Yep. I forgot the other mode. People were memeing on Archmage's Charm all week, it steals a one-drop permanent. 
okay. and I thought people were just like shit posting, and I didn't realize there's actually a deck that was playing Archmage's Charm, and um, <clears throat> y'all niggas need Jesus, Jesus Christ, <laughs> like I swear, how do Archmage's? Have you ever been pyroblasted in your life? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like this. <laughs> fucking beautiful Archmage's Charm that is wild you mm. I to be fair to be fair Ian has been a huge fan of Esper Charm Esper Charm I don't even know what Esper Charm does oh really you draw two cards strike a player discard two cards destroy target enchantment oh Cedric Phillips special I do know that card yeah the Cedric Phillips special (laughs) yeah yeah I, I do remember talking about that card now Tom Tom, do you do you know what the subject fell of some special is? I don't actually. There was like a PTQ or some. There was some event he was playing where his opponent goes like Archmage turn target myself, and Cedric Phillips is like resolves and they go to draw two cards and he's like no you have to discard two cards because the only mode on not Archmage charm Esper charm the only mode on Esper charm that targets is the <gasps> discard two cards. So uh, it was one of the judge. Yeah, on the judge call. Yeah. It was one That's of even more savage than firing all your best friends. <laughs> oh. 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 oh, that was awesome. <laughs> conversation about how the face of magic uh, content is moving away from large corporations hiding behind paywalls to people just going directly towards content creators who produce content that is tailor made for them as human beings or not are we skipping that or are we just no we can we can 100 percent talk uh, about that because like what, I, I still need to figure out what our market is <laughs> is our market people just too lazy to find their market our, i think be. our market is people who don't actually still play magic but they like they want to keep up with it yeah they want to keep up with it but actually, they should just be listening to, like, lifestyle podcasting or, like, uh, you know, something else. But th- they're just familiar. Like, they understand the code that we're speaking. Like, this uh, this magic talk is just, like, you know, the comfortable, how, you know, talking about the weather or whatever. Th- yep. That's what I imagine our demographic is. I need, to, I need to subscribe to a woodworking podcast because there's some things that I want to build for the house. Jesus Christ. I was Listen, sure yeah, that was going to be a masturbation joke. I could no, hear it your wasn't. libido. It wasn't. I, I wasn't even kidding. Like I, <laughs> I went shopping. I, I bought a rug. Um, I bought a rug, and I spent a lot of time at Pier 1 picking out artwork. I I don't need to get into my life, but that Are you going to have a Bob Vila beard next time I see you? A what? Bob Vila beard. <laughs> No, I can't. I can't grow a beard. <laughs> Did you I'm, spend uh, three hours looking at fanny packs on eBay? No, I have my fanny pack. <laughs> it's bro. How are you gonna rollerblade to school with all the snow? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be challenging, but I'll make do. I feel like Tom is the teacher who tries to be cool and relate to the kids, and then they're just like... oh, Lawrence, <laughs> you just fucking crossed a line. Oh. Did I? You did. Maybe in like 20 years when I have like my turtleneck under my sweater um, <laughs> and my fanny pack talking about talking about the old times 
when Nickelodeon had good cartoons like Doug. Shit, that's me. You're right, that's me. <laughs> See, I couldn't be a teacher. I would just like, I would be halfway into a lesson and just go, fuck this, I don't care about your future. And I'd just like go off into the corner and start smoking a pipe while like reading like <laughs> oh. web comics You need, or you need you, yep, I'm not there yet. You're not quite Give me a there? few years. Oh my god. Have you gotten to the Tom. point where like students start to torment you, or do you, like your students actually like you? No, my students actually like me. Okay, I I actually really enjoy my job, so yeah, I'm I'm lucky. That's nice. Uh, my class used to set fires. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was food hidden in random spots. There was like a plate of ribs hidden in the ceiling for multiple months. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was. There were things happening. Uh, well, I remember in chem class, I was in like honor science classes and I was an aide for uh, my chemistry teacher. And we we built like a like a pillar that we taped to the ceiling and then lit on fire. Smart. Um, I, I don't know why. It was a bunch of honors kids. We decided to like light a bunch of stuff on fire. And I'm pretty sure that we ganked some magnesium ribbon and tried to make thermite. <laughs> um, and threw it on the greens at a local golf course. So, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I wasn't the most trustworthy. You might, student. you might want to Google the statute limitations on that one before you. I got yeah. That's gonna get edited. Out. That's for patrons. That's for patrons only. That's for patrons only. <laughs> <laughs> this is the tailor-made content that people are talking about. Bro, I had physics class right after lunch, and we would get a. Uh like pretzels and and they were like in like aluminum foil so we'd all have aluminum foil when we got to physics class and so we just like would wrap it into balls and we just turned it into a huge dick that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we we're hiding it behind one of the lab benches oh my god so then one day like towards the end of the year it was just like enormous it was like two feet long you know it was just this enormous cock and balls and our, our teacher like walks into the back of the room and sees it for the first time and he's he's just this really aloof dude. He would ride his bike to school with like spandex on, and he picks up he picks it up. He's like, "What is this? A big bone? So what are you guys gnawing on it?" And he just puts it up to his face, and he's just like chewing on it. And I to this day don't know if he was fucking with us or if it was just. The, and I was of course I was just really high, so I, it it was I was laughing for like a month straight after that. that oh. That's the teacher you have to be, Tom. You're just not sure if he was leveling the metagame or I not. Think he did. I think he did level us, honestly. <laughs> That's, That's outstanding. Yeah. That's the teacher you have to be. <sighs> Yo, so what my uh, my boss' kids go to charter school, and they uh. She dropped them off this morning and found out that none of the teachers had actually come into work today, and they just had study hall all day. Oh, wow. I thought you would appreciate that. <laughs> I, I would appreciate that. Like, it's tough because district superintendents need to, like, base all of their things off the local conditions. But a lot of the times, teachers are driving from quite a, like, quite a distance, so it's tough to get that right. Mm-hmm. My uh, four foot ten boss has the biggest stick energy of everyone in the office, and there are multiple like six foot men who are afraid of her, and it's fucking amazing. It's 
Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, I'm afraid to talk to her because she'll, she'll, <laughs> she scares me. It's like, sir, you can cough and send her flying across the room. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's fucking amazing. Just the pure embodiment of big dick energy. It's, I love it. I love every moment of it. Yeah, that's pretty sick. What, uh, so wait. Oh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. Are we? Are we really? Yeah. I feel like it's tradition at this point that, like, when I come on, we have to just, like, stop talking about magic abruptly and then just go left field completely. Yeah. 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 We we made it quite quite a bit further in the episode before that happened than I thought we were going to. Yeah. <laughs> so, congratulations everybody involved. And we've yeah. already we've actually already knocked out a segment from the end too, which was Astrolabe Oko Vale Triumvirate a band discussion. So, we're doing pretty well. We're we're on schedule. Like we're we're doing really well. We pushed that all to the front. Um Yeah, is this where I say like what I would play in the quarterly or something because that's like the last thing on the show notes well yeah real quick i just wanted to point out this tournament despite the blue concentration at the top and and all this stuff we've been talking about about blue decks beating blue decks this was only a 55 percent blue tournament so like we talked about after ren you know did we think blue would go up or down and this first reading that we have seems like you know we're still sub 60 percent blue even though the winner's metagame is more reflective of of blue cards yeah, I think it's, like, I think blue just stays constant, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I think also paper is always going to be a little less blue than online. Uh, is that true? I think so, because I think people are married to decks like Death and Taxes and Elves and... Yeah, stuff, true. You know, true. stuff that they own, whereas online they- is so fluid. There are, like, yeah, there are definitely more people in who only play, like, paper GPs who, uh, who show up with their – the decks they emotionally identify as, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you want to get to the quarterly? Because I, uh, I think that topic's pretty much exhausted. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to play Blue Soup or, like, some Delver deck, to be honest. Uh, lands may, with or without Oko could be good, but – Lands is like a deck that's really easy to mess up playing, so you know I'm kind of just whatever about that. So, what Delver deck would you play? I feel like you've been very hostile towards Delver so far this episode. Um, Bug Delver. I haven't played a lot, so Bug Delver has actually done pretty well for me. Uh, but I, like I said, I haven't played a lot with it. I'm like eight two with Bug Delver. Uh, six six with Grixis Delver, and that's with Stifle and non-Stifle variants. I know Eric Landon has been liking Stifle Delver and um, Hans Jacob Gotic, I think. H.J. Kaiser, you uh, words. Uh, oh uh, yeah, H.J. Kaiser. Yeah, North American Legacy Champion some number of years ago. Uh, Wait, that dude's from North America? No, he's not. He oh, okay. fly. He, you know how like big of a dick you have to be to fly across the world to just like go to Pittsburgh and then crush a tournament. 
I won't drive five minutes to get food. <laughs> like, wait, you gotta... are you telling me someone someone came here and stole our championship? Yeah, Hans just straight up snatched that shit. Oh, uh, and he was just like, "I'm a legacy champion," but I think it's I think it's American again. I I think or something, but you know, he just straight up snatched it. He was just like, "This is mine." Uh, gang, gang. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Build a wall. We, we can't have this happen again. <laughs> Build a tallest wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is uh, this is upsetting, but it's good to know. This was like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Just help realizing this. I, I honestly, I, I've never considered that someone that wasn't North American would be playing the North American Championships. Dude, Europeans love legacy. They they're do. Like you said, they're willing to fly around the world to play Magic the Gathering. And I'm not willing to drive five minutes to get food. Like, it's <laughs> just a whole different level of dedication. I'm like, you know, maybe death is okay. Maybe, <laughs> you know, death is fine. And they're just like... Inject that sweet legacy into my veins. I feel you, bro. We got we got some snow, so I'm like I'm going through my cabinets and like I'm eating shit like quino. I'm eating uh pretzels, popcorn. <laughs> did, you just, did you just pronounce quinoa quino? Queen. How do you say it? Quinoa. 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 Jesus how do you say it? Quinoa. 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 No, quinoa. It's just like one. It's a smooth thing. It's quinoa, you know, not quinoa. <laughs> I got it. It's 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 fucking. I don't know. It, Do you it's Disney Plus. It's Have you been watching Pocahontas? Oh, fun fact. Yellow Springs factoid. I live next to the voice actor who did uh, Pocahontas. Yeah, she was my neighbor. No shit. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing that happened in my lifetime. So, yeah. She was chill. Sweet. That's yeah. uh that's pretty wild. I didn't even uh I didn't know that the Pocahontas had a show. No, they didn't have a show but a movie, but like they had a native woman do the voice acting for Pocahontas and she ended up being my neighbor at some uh, point. Ah, like, gotcha. Oh. It was like one of those things where, like, she told everyone, it was like, this is the only thing you have in life. Oh, like like the the wolf cry at the blue corn moon, that one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if she did the singing. I want to say they had Celine Dion do the singing. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I'm just way off base, but. uh, Could have been Elizabeth Warren. Like, all the other voices. Oh, Ian. Elizabeth Warren, I have no idea who that is. I feel like if I do that <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I can hear you rubbing your hand, so I have to Google her name. It's, it's, it's just too good because... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like I won this one, Tom. <laughs> you You did. <laughs> You did. So, if you were going to play in the quarterly, Tom, what would you be playing? Death and Taxes. Death and Taxes. Wow. Because it's sleeved. Even though it's a quarterly. <laughs> I don't. I just need to click buttons. 
I'd be too lazy to play anything other than that. Yeah. I kind of so, feel that. The, the, all these band decks, though, you don't want to you don't want to play like uh, Ice Fang Coatle Band. Uh, that would interest me, but not not a super fan of that style of play. I honestly feel like you can just jam like some vistas and some basics and some astrolabes and four ocos and then just you know whatever the fuck you want to play. Like it, I mean, you probably could in any like three or four color combination. And like I mean, you see the deck that came in second in the Grand Prix. Like that's that's just like you know throwing cards that you want to play together. So it really does appeal to me. I kind of wish I could play in this quarterly. So Judy Kuhn was uh, who did the singing for Pocahontas, but my neighbor was Irene Bedard. Nice. Yeah. So y'all can Google that. She's 52, apparently still lives in Yellow Springs. Um, oh, she's from Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, you can tell how little I actually cared about her life by the fact that I'm like actually just now reading her Wikipedia page. <laughs> I love Wikipedia. Like, I, I spend way too much time on there. I donated $3 to them today. <clears throat> There's a subtle irony in life that, like, the period of time where you spend the most on Wikipedia is when you don't have enough money to actually donate to them. And then by the time you've, like, hit the point where you, like, actually respect Wikipedia as a platform, you're just, like... I don't use them enough to donate money to them. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. I remember the like when I was poor, like you know, I don't know, a while back, I donated to Wikipedia like you know seven dollars or something, and I had like a ad blocker on or something. Some for some reason they didn't have cookies, so like the next time I went there, they were still asking for a donation, and I was so triggered and hurt because like I donated to them and they were they were still just like. If everyone just donated, please just consider it. And I was just like, I was racked, man. I was like, you guys don't even know that I donated to you. Wikipedia hit you with the, uh, your Uber is here. And then when you showed up again, they were like, hey, Ma. Yep. Good. You looking kind of fake, <laughs> though. Just up on this Wednesday. What's up? Just, yeah, just, you know, use me and lose me. But. <laughs> That's what it is. So you guys ready to wrap it? Pretty much. I'm gonna check anyway, out the... this has been episode yeah. 74 <laughs> of the Dead Four. <laughs> this time with less social justice stuff. <laughs> Please, Germans, listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need those clicks, baby. <laughs> <laughs>